You're about to hear my conversation with Dustin Reed. We talk all about the recent market volatility uh, and get his four reasons why he thinks that the markets have been so volatile. I hope you enjoy. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Information relating to investment approaches or individual investments should not be construed as advice or endorsement. Listeners should seek professional advice for their situation. Welcome to the McKenzie Investments Podcast. My name is Matthew Schnur, and I'm delighted to be back for my biweekly conversation with Dustin Reed. Uh, maybe before we get started, I'll give the listeners a little bit of a, a insight. Sometimes when we have these conversations, we don't actually have a ton to talk about, and we try to make things up. Today is not one of those days. Uh, the past week has seen uh, a return of uh, risk off, an increase in volatility. Uh, and Dustin, I'm hoping that we can start the conversation by just giving me your take on the the recent volatility. Uh, what's uh, what's already baked into the markets? What more can we expect? Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me. I, uh, you know, I think there's a lot going on, um, and uh, I think I'll I'll try and tackle it um, kind of as I've been explaining it and, and speaking with uh, clients over the last week or two. So yields Great. have obviously kind of uh, been grinding lower here, uh, to the surprise of many. I, I would say, um, you know, even kind of beyond uh, you know our expectations in terms of in terms of lows, um, and I think there's probably. Not to throw everything at the at the wall and see what sticks, but I do think there are genuinely um, four drivers behind that, and you know, to to various you know to various degrees. And so I'll, I'll I'll go through those quickly. One, I mean, I think obviously the market was very positioned the other way, right? People were very short fixed income or looking for yields quite a bit higher, um, especially when you know just take the benchmark ten year Treasury where it was you know one fifty one sixty. And you know we we obviously hit 175 at a time, and uh, a lot of people were looking for two uh, percent or or beyond, you know, within a few months' time, um, a few months ago. And I think you know the market, you know, you can get the market positioning data both uh, both public as well as kind of proprietary from various banks, and uh, it was clear that the market was was very very short, um, you know, debatably record short. And generally, when you have a lot of people. Um, you know, one way in size um, that 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 cannot last forever, and then you get what's you know often called a you know a short squeeze, which is what what you're getting, or you know the capitulation trade, depending on how you wanna how you wanna right. do it. So I think I think that capitulation trade, or that short squeeze, because everyone was positioned the same way, is is definitely one of the reasons why um, you know things have moved. The second and, and somewhat related to the first is. Uh, because, because, and we've talked about many, many times on this on these podcasts. You know, there's um, there's been a lot of a lot of cash in the system. Central banks are there. Uh, a lot of fiscal spending going on globally. We've talked about that a lot. Um, it's been a relatively decent market for you know for risk, right? For global risk uh, sentiment sure. and equities. Um, you know, obviously we're a fixed income team, but equities have, have done very well. There's no there's no surprise there. And, um, you know, what we've heard and what we thought and subsequently what we've heard anecdotally and actually uh, been able to somewhat quantify, although on a small scale, is that um, some of these balance managers and uh, maybe on the real money side and leverage uh, leverage managers on the, um, you know, kind of on the uh, the hedge fund side 
um, or you know multi multi asset managers on the leverage side uh, are seeing the risk side of their portfolio, the equity side, and other you know commodities and that sort of thing come you know balloon to a point where those those the size of that part of their portfolio or balance sheet or wherever you want to look at it. Um, needs to basically get synthetically uh, reallocated into something that's a lot less risky, um, you know, and and fixed income, you know, generally, you know, at least at least uh, sovereign fixed income, you know, generally uh, fits the bill. And uh, obviously, treasuries are are uh, near or at the top of that list. So we've seen that kind of. I keep calling it a synthetic rotation, but I'm not actually sure it's synthetic. I think it's actually really happening. And you know, so you're seeing. Uh, managers and you know from multi strats and, and balance funds have to rotate um, you know synthetically to, to manage risk basically and it's just a, sure. it's it's proper risk management from a portfolio management perspective so that would be you know the second thing I think the third thing and we saw a pretty big move obviously before the Fed meeting in June but clearly after the Fed meeting in June it accelerated I think a lot of people given where the where the Fed came out um, people thought that the Fed was perhaps on the cusp of Making a policy error by potentially uh, tightening uh, too quickly, um, and you know we saw that we discussed that, but we, you know we saw that in the market ex post the uh, the Fed meeting right. with uh, euro dollars pricing in more, and uh, obviously we talked a lot about the dots and and those and those sorts of things, uh, you know, and, and as we know, Powell and and a number of people, especially at the senior side, you know, the very senior people at the Fed on the governor's side um, are not big fans of the dots, but the market traded that anyway. So we saw the curve flatten a fair bit, um, you know, with the short end, a decent amount higher. And obviously tens and thirties were, you know, were quite a bit lower. We saw that, we saw a big flattening, you know, and that was kind of on the back of, um, you know, the, the expectation of, of potentially, uh, being a, a policy error. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's, uh, you know, that that's obviously been, uh, been a relatively big driver. And then the fourth, uh, which is something that you know we were flagging internally. I'd say on the fixed income team, maybe I mean really starting having discussions around it four weeks ago uh, as uh, as a tail risk uh, is the uh, is the, the the delta variant side. And at the time when we had that conversation, you know it's obviously tough to look out and see kind of how that's going to continue and how much is priced in the market and where. Um, you know how th- how things are how things are going to trade. How serious is it? Um, you know, how is the market going to take it? Uh, I think it's, you know, at the time we were saying, you know, I think that, I think the headlines are going to get worse. I think it's going to be, you know, more serious. Uh, and, and the market probably at the time was not really uh, pricing it. Uh, but I think that, you know, over the last four weeks or so uh, as a driver for markets is particularly fixed income markets. And I would say currencies as well um, has, you know, been become a larger factor, a larger driver for markets, and that is clearly um, continuing to escalate. Uh, I would say from a ne- from a negative perspective, and so there's clearly uh, a camp in the market that's concerned about the the Delta variant uh, spreading, what it means for uh, you know, reopening, global growth, uh, inflation, um, uh, you know, school reopenings, uh, the labor market, the Fed. And how that all kind of ties back to asset markets. So I think, I genuinely think, and again, I don't like, I, I generally can't stand it when people throw everything at the wall. But I, I do think that there are at least four camps, and obviously some people will 
think that one or two or more of those four are drivers and maybe, you know, maybe like one or two are just, you know, not happening. But I do right. genuinely believe that um, there are at least camps in various sizes of the market that are, um, you know, believing in, you know, one or more of those four drivers. And that's that's how we've kind of ended up, um, you know, we traded as low as uh, a little below 113 on 10-year treasuries, 1.13 right. uh, earlier this week. And, you know... Um, you know, I think that's how we've, you know, how we've got, how we've got to this point. So let me, let me stop there kind of, uh, before kind of, uh, going on. Yeah, that's great, Dustin. Thanks. I, I, I'd actually like to maybe dive into maybe even all of the, the four that you laid out, um, and, and get the, get your opinion on how, uh, to use the Fed's favorite word transitory. Some of these are, right. um, so when we look at the first two that you mentioned, so the yields grinding lower, effectively uh, fixed income managers positioned uh, it for uh, higher yields, and, and you called it a short squeeze, as well as the multi-strat, uh, call it a rebalance uh, because the risk assets had done so well. Right. Um, to me, that sounds like money uh, that is probably in motion just once uh, and that once that money finds the home, uh, it's no longer a, a driver of uh, future uh, volatility. Am I wrong to think of that, or, or is that is that the right way to think of it? No, I think that's I think that's right on. And I think uh, okay. you know on the on the positioning side, we've you know we've seen not not all of it, but we've seen a lot of those shorts uh, clear out, um, right? Some by force, just because of just because of the price action. Um, you know, but but if we have a very uh, a very friendly uh, you know or global risk you know very friendly global risk sentiment environment here, and you know for whatever reason, and there, there could be a number of reasons, and equities continue to do well, and commodities kind of bounce back from uh, the the bit of a U turn they've had over the last couple of months. I mean, clearly those um, you know those balance managers and those multi strat managers are going to you know very likely have to continue to re, you know rebalance and manage and manage that risk so right. that's something that that we are you know clearly incorporating as uh, you know in terms of our outlook of how you know fixed income might trade over the next one or two quarters um you know based on that and the you know the fed you know, fed drivers central bank drivers liquidity in the market you know all those things that we've talked about here uh, you know a number of times are um you know are obviously are obviously very important in terms of uh, you know determining that path Great. Um, uh, then maybe we can move to the the, the next two, um, which seems like it could be uh, more of a longer term, or, or potentially uh, there could be um, some some trade left there at least. Uh, so the Fed uh, being on the cusp of policy error, do you think that the Fed's uh, most recent language and and uh, and suggesting that um, and that the market's more comfortable with their, the fact that they're uh, lower uh, for longer, and they're not uh, going to raise too early. Or, or what's your view on that? I think we're getting there. Um, I, th you know, the, the June meeting coming out of the June meeting was really very, very interesting. One of the more interesting kind of reaction functions I've seen in markets in a while. I think you know Powell um, at the at his semiannual testimony in front of Congress uh, more recently than than the June meeting. You know, came off to me anyway, and I would say probably to most that are watching, like um, Fed watching, as a little bit, a little bit more dovish. I mean, he's clearly trying, in my opinion, he's clearly trying to uh, back away from uh, the reaction that uh, that the market had coming out of the coming out of the June meeting. And you've seen, 
Well, I guess to be fair, you've really only seen um, you've really only seen uh, Brainard. Um, uh, sorry, Will, excuse me, Williams, uh, the New York Fed president, uh, speak, and he was also quite, you know, quite a bit more dovish, at least on a relative scale, versus where um, the June the June FOMC tone was, at least at least in my opinion. And so I think that um, you know we haven't seen, and my team's heard me say this a lot of times. I'm sure they're tired of it, but we haven't really heard much from uh, Brainard or Clarida, who I would view as the other two most senior people at the Fed who, who, I, who I'd like to hear from since the June FOMC. So there's a bit of a, a bit of a gap there in terms of kind of where, where that all sits. But we do have a Fed meeting um, this coming week. And um, it's, a, it's not a forecast meeting, but of course, every meeting is a press conference meeting now. And I think that, um, you know, I think given the uptick on the, on the virus side, on the Delta variant side, you know, it would be smart for the Fed to not, uh, in this case, Powell, to not be, you know, to purposely try to not come off as overly hawkish. And I think that um, I think there are very few, if any, really looking for uh, the Fed to to do anything material, uh, particularly on tapering this meeting. And I think, you know, Jackson Hole is probably not going to be the venue. So I think the September FOMC, depending on how things go, uh, is... Um, you know, is kind of setting up to be the quote unquote announcement date with a, uh, you know, physical tapering happening in December uh, or January. But one thing the Fed, I think, needs to do a slightly better job of is um, separating or disassociating uh, taper versus uh, hiking rates. And I think that uh, the market, not everyone, but a lot of people in the market are viewing those as you know, not, not necessarily one and the same, but when the clock starts on tapering or when tapering happens, then the clock automatically starts on hiking rates. And I don't think, I don't think that's what this Fed wants at all, actually. I think that uh, the, 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 the rate hikes are, you know, very much TBD and we'll, you know, we'll see how it goes kind of thing. And, uh, you know, that could be that could be transitory. That could that maybe, you know, not not be transitory related. So I think that, uh, you know, it's 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 going to be uh, I think it's an interesting meeting next week in a way. But um, that's what I think the Fed needs to kind of, um, you know, pay attention to at this point. Perfect. Um, that makes makes a lot of sense. So uh, interesting that you're looking at September FOMC for a tapering announcement. That's. Uh, push back a little bit later than your previous comments on Jackson Hole. Yeah, um, I guess responding to to the the recent market um, reaction. Yeah. Um, the the last uh, of the points that you pointed out and you referenced in the last one is the the Delta variant. Right. Um, I haven't seen the most recent numbers in the UK, which was sort of the call it the forward case for developed markets or, or markets um, where there's significant amount of vac- vaccinations that have occurred. Uh, but uh, I saw that uh, when I did look, I think it was uh, late last week, um, the Delta variant cases were going up, but hospitalizations and uh, and deaths had yet to follow. Um, is that still the case? Uh, and uh, and is the market um, going to really take a look at this in two different manners? One with uh, countries that have uh, significant amount of their population vaccinated, and then uh, apply a different uh, model or discount uh, to those that don't have their their countries uh, to the same degree of vaccination um, as far as percentage of the population. Yeah, so I think that's you know, that's 
very possible. I think that, uh, you know, the U.S. is probably four to five weeks behind the U.K. in terms of okay. kind of where the where the cycle is, so to speak. Um, so I, you know, I suspect mid-August-ish, third week of August, we're going to, you know, be, or the U.S. is going to be where, where the U.K. is now. Um, you know, a few weeks ago, the U.K., I believe it was the health minister, but the U.K. health minister said that, uh, you know, they were expecting 100,000 uh, cases a day, um, you know, by, you know, at some point in mid-August, um, which is a, which is a big number. Cause I think they were at 50 or 55,000, uh, at the peak of the, um, of the previous wave. So, I mean, that's a, that's a big number, but to your point, you know, the hospitalization rate is clearly, uh, you know, a lot lower. Um, you know, what we know is that, um, you know, the UK has a relatively high vaccination rate, uh, most of that vaccine is AstraZeneca, and in the U.S., it's a lower vaccination rate. Um, a lot of that vaccine is the mRNA, uh, Moderna and, and Pfizer. Um, AstraZeneca, of course, never got approved by the FDA in the U.S., and the J&J drug did. And, um, you know, we've had this recent announcement that uh, the J&J, um, you know, been a uh, uh, you know, uh, people that took JJ are uh, probably going to need probably going to need a booster. But clearly, the take up rate has not been huge in the U.S. I mean, the way I the way I look at it, which is very very crude, is if you picture an upside down T and kind of draw it down the middle of the country, um, upside down T, uh, capital T, then that's kind of where a lot of the a lot of the you know danger spots are. So. Kind of, you know, South Dakota, you know, uh, Oklahoma, Kansas to a point, some of Texas kind of going out to West Texas, Arkansas, Tennessee, uh, some in Florida, a little bit in Georgia, Alabama. So maybe maybe a little bit more to the right than the left, if you kind of picture it. But, um, you know, clearly this is um, becoming, uh, you know, I'll I'll steal the the head of the CDC's CDC's, uh, words. It's becoming a. Uh, um, a pandemic, or at least a uh, a wave of the unvaccinated, and uh, you know, I think it's going to be I think it's going to be challenging, unfortunately, in a number of these states where the vaccination rates are very are very low, um, and and we're already seeing that, and we're seeing ICU levels move higher. You know, is it going to move the needle overall, like significantly overall in the U.S.? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I think it's I think it's very tough to tell. But I do know that this Fed is very focused on everybody uh, participating in the recovery. And so where I think it gets challenging is if the Fed sees and I'm looking at a number of 15 percent, one five in terms of the population. But if the Fed sees that 15, call it 20 percent of the population is, you know, in 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 some trouble here. Um, and not necessarily reopening, but just not able to get back to the labor force and, and, and things are just slower. Right. You know, is that enough of a recovery that the Fed feels comfortable in terms of, you know, moving forward? You know, my inclination is it probably is. And this kind of goes back to where I was a few minutes ago and where they want to draw a more distinct line between liftoff and tapering. I think, I think the tapering can go, but this is where the liftoff story, you know, hiking rates can be maybe maybe pushed off uh, a little bit which probably means a little bit more liquidity in the system for longer and 
you know, all other things equal, it should be good for risk, but there's a lot of other clearly drivers, macro drivers that are, that are going on. But I think that it's clear that over the last week or two, to state the obvious, that the Delta variant's become a bigger driver for markets, more people are looking at it. And I think the the tail risk of kind of where we stand now, you know, from T0 today is is larger. You know, my concern, you know, four weeks ago with the team was basically, um, you know, if this starts to really spread, what does it mean for school openings? What does it mean for those people that have been waiting to get back into the labor force? Right. And what does that mean for the Fed? Because the you know the labor market numbers won't necessarily have turned around as quickly for the Fed um, as maybe they or it thought. And you know does that delay everything? I mean the September the September FOMC, you're only going to have August data at that point. You'll have a few weekly claims numbers, but you're only going to have the August non-farm data. Uh, so you know it, it's still. It's still on the early side for me, and uh, you know, uh, I, I think September is is definitely the base case here. But um, the risk, I think, is later, not uh, not sooner. So that's uh, that's kind of how we're looking at the at the variant side. But it's it's going to be unfortunately, um, you know, a bigger uh, a bigger driver for markets in a, in a in a potentially negative headline way here. I think for the next at least month, if not two, and. Uh, and I also think the Fed uh, is is paying is paying a fair bit of attention to the global story as well. They probably won't give that a lot of airtime because it's not it's not very popular with Congress. Sure. Um, but clearly, there are going to be other countries, particularly EM countries, that are going to have a, a hard time and are having a hard time already with the the new um, the new variant and uh, the Delta variant. And I think that. Uh, you know, if that if that if the Fed thinks that that's going to impact uh, trade, and uh, you know the 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 economic outlook for the U.S. as it pertains to global, you know the global global growth scenario, uh, you know they'll definitely take that into account, and you know that probably means a Fed that's easier for longer. You know, all all other things equal. Great insight, and and, and what about? Um... What about your view on the Delta variant? Uh, so you, you went through it uh, in, in great detail on the U.S. Uh, what about emerging markets? I know that, for example, you had a position in emerging market debt. Like, do you expect uh, the Delta variant to be more dramatic there, and, and how do you expect that to move markets? I mean, I think it has the potential to be for sure. I mean, I think there's three ways to look at it. There's, you know, the percentage of population uh, that's been, you know, that's been vaccinated. Um, and I, you know, and then there's kind of, you know, geographical stuff I would say is number two. And then number three, I would say, you know, in some ways, I think the, 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 the drug that was taken, uh, counts and, mm. you know, what, what we've seen from a few studies is some, some of the drugs that, uh, um, you know, were, were, were used in, you know, on mass in a few countries are not showing up in terms of high efficacy rates against the Delta variant, unfortunately. Um, there are a few countries that we've screened out, like uh, Philippines, uh, Malaysia, uh, Thailand, uh, particularly, I think, uh, you know, f- that are, I think, in a, in a little bit of trouble because of kind of geographical proximity. Um, you know, the amount of vaccination per population and, uh, and frankly, the the um, the medic the medication used or not used. So uh, you know, I think 
but I think there are a number of, you know, without going into all of them here, I think there are, there are a number of countries, both, you know, not both, but, you know, in Asia, uh, LATAM and, um, you know, and, and Europe, Eastern Europe, where, um, you know, where we're going to, where we're going to see some, some trouble. I mean, where it gets challenging for markets, I think is, you know, everyone knows that the, the supply chain story has been pretty tight. I mean, you know, we've kind of been following that for a few months and it's, you know, it's fed into the inflation side. And, you know, we know that from a demand perspective, from a, you know, raw materials commodity perspective. Right. So we know all that. Um, so what happens if in some of these, you know, heavy manufacturing or goods producing countries, if things slow down because of the the virus and there's actually the resurgence of the virus and there's, mm. you know, even, you know, it's even more difficult to get goods, you know, what kind of, right. what kind of pressure does that put on various supply chains and what does it do for prices? Right. And I think, you know, the implication is that it could, uh, you know, it could have a, you know, it could impact prices, uh, you know, to move, to move even, even higher, more quickly. Right. I think that's, I think that's, that's something to watch and that's, you know, that's a risk. Um, and, uh, you know, the transitory, the transitory language that uh, frankly, not only the fed, but a number of central banks, including here in Canada, uh, I would say in the UK, um, uh, and others, uh, you know, my, you know, your definition of transitory may have to be, uh, you know, changed or elongated uh, a fair bit because, uh, it could have these higher inflation levels for a while. And this is not, uh, Again, you know, we don't, we don't, we don't catch everything, but at the same time, when, when I talk about, uh, leveling up, um, so inflation, not necessarily running away higher per se, uh, but we're, you know, leveling up at a, at a new inflation rate when things, um, settle out a bit kind of before, like versus pre, um, March, 2020, that's kind of the, some of the, some of the inputs that we're thinking about and looking at, because we think there's you know, a, a decent probability that there's going to be continued supply chain, um, you know, pressures and tightness, and it's just going to be more expensive for imported goods, you know, from EM to develop markets. So I think, you know, those types of things are important and um, the Delta, the Delta variant probably only accelerates or accentuates those types of, um, you know, price movements or data movements as opposed to, uh, you know, decelerate. Dustin, I'll call it there. That was uh, fascinating. Sounds like the tension between inflation and, and rate hikes and, and normalization of, uh, of monetary policy uh, is still going to be with us for some time. So I look forward to continuing to have you back uh, to keep us up to date on those conversations. So thank you very much. That sounds great. Thanks very much for having me. The content of this podcast, including facts, views, opinions, and recommendations, is not to be used or construed as investment advice and is not an offer or an invitation to buy or sell any security. The content of this podcast should not be relied upon for any purposes and McKenzie Financial Corporation is not responsible for any reliance upon it. This podcast includes forward-looking information that reflects our current expectations or forecasts of future events. Forward-looking information is subject to risks, uncertainties, and assumptions that could cause actual results to differ materially from those expressed herein. Our views are subject to change based on market conditions. Commissions, trailing commissions, management fees, and expenses may be associated with mutual fund investments. Please read the fun facts and prospectus before investing. 
The indicated rates of returns are historical annual compounded total returns, including changes to unit values and reinvestment of all dividends or distributions and does not take into account sales, redemptions, distribution, or optional charges or income taxes payable by any security holder that would have reduced returns.